0: you're listening to the creative outlet welcome i'm Fiona a product manager youtuber and late night fm dj every sunday i share a story on what inspires me to be creative i'm fascinated by design tech people languages and idea that i can use them to reinvent myself you will find that i express myself through different languages Le Francais, par exemple. Ooh la la. memes and impeccable formatting if you read my newsletter. How do you do that? Just go to fiona.substack.com and subscribe for new stories every Sunday. Let this be our creative outlet. This week, We're talking about part 1 of the love story between languages and me. I'm bilingual in Mandarin and English. Since I love languages, I took French and Korean in high school, and I'm still trying to keep them up in 2021. Through friends and travel, I also dabbled in learning Cantonese and Polish. In this series, I will unwind the love letters between me and these languages what serendipitous encounters that started all, the ups and downs, and where we are now. Okay, cheesiness aside, let's get started with English. Learning English in Mandarin. My mother tongue is Mandarin, as I lived in China for 10 years before moving to Canada. My elementary school started teaching English weekly in grade 3. I remember the textbook was in Chinese, but our teacher, Miss He, or Laoshi, instructed us to only speak English in class. She was one of the best teachers I had. I enjoyed her classes so much that I volunteered to be the class rep where I collected homework and read textbooks out loud. <laughs> that was a great introduction to English and I was hooked. However, the school system prioritized math and sciences, of course. Right before exams, my favorite English and physics classes would get replaced by these more important classes we would have our English textbooks out. As the bell rang, the math teacher would come in and tell us that we need this time to prep for the math exam. True story. Comment the sad emoji if it happened to you too. Needless to say, English was not highly regarded by schools back then. Being a mandatory class instead of an elective, many students just wanted a pass. You can probably relate if you had to take French or Spanish in school here. Learning English in English After four years of English education, one 15-hour plane ride later, I found myself immersed in an environment where English is needed for survival, and I couldn't even ask for directions. Good thing that Canada has an English as an ASL, English as a second language or ESL program where newcomers are offered English classes for free. For students, I also had a version of that, but at the sacrifice of taking regular English classes. Anecdote: I was terrible at English, but absolutely smashed math. As you probably guessed, my entire class was astonished to see me ace the quiz so fast, but what can I say? It was third grade math to me at most. I graduated ESL in middle school and finally started taking English with my class. We read literary classics, wrote essays, and presented our views. At that point, my listening was pretty good, but writing and speaking were still lacking. What helped me the most was going out and talking to people. I never liked that ESL label and how people treated me differently at school. Instead, I went out to community centers, libraries, and volunteer hubs where I discovered hobbies that would accompany me years later. After school, I would go to multiple community centers on my kitty scooter taking classes in dance, swimming, skateboarding, website design, basketball, and even creative writing. Everything that seemed fun and new. The people there didn't see me as an ESL student, but just another gal who wants to have a good time. I was relaxed and got a lot more comfortable expressing myself. Learning English through student clubs. Whenever I think about high school, I still couldn't believe that I, who couldn't speak a few years ago, stood in front of a microphone and read morning announcements to the entire school. During the audition, I remember my body trembling so hard and couldn't even hold the script still. After I was done, I couldn't look at anyone in the eye because I was convinced that I absolutely bombed it. But bless their hearts, they welcomed me to the announcements team. Looking back, I think that's when everything changed. This external validation shut down all the doubts in my head. It didn't matter how much I reassured myself that, yes, Fiona, you have no trouble speaking English. But now it is a fact that people can understand me through announcements, and this also planted the seed for me going into radio later on. With the senior's help, I learned to speak with a big smile and a modulated tone, so that my voice comes out friendlier through the speakers. Things I never would have known if I didn't show up. Another game changer was speaking to Lee. I started a dance club to perform at various events and let the Free the Children Me Do We Club to fundraise and raise awareness. Both required me to recruit, facilitate meetings, and resolve conflicts. Every day presented a different challenge, a scenario that I've never been in and had to use words to carry the team or project forward. For dance, I had to teach choreography in a way that members can understand and follow. With performances, I had to negotiate costume prices with vendors and collaborate with the stage crew on lighting design. These were experiences I I didn't know I had signed up for, but they taught me to use English in a different light. The scariest was delivering a speech to recruit for the Midui club during school assemblies. Hundreds of students and staff sat in the audience with the spotlight on me. I revised my speech over and over again trying to sound persuasive, empathetic, and inspiring. At that point, I think the mission and responsibility of contributing to a philanthropic cause completely changed my relationship with English it had power beyond announcements on where club meetings are held or which direction a dancer should spin English can move you excite you influence you and unite us to make a difference in the world of Mediwi that's one more school built in Kenya learning English through engineering all right recess is over college wants no fluff prove everything using the first principle praxis RFPs lab reports presentations research papers thesis if anyone told you that engineering only requires math skills and not English they're wrong Communication is king in any discipline. Even if you use symbols in your proof, you still need to know what they mean and when to use it. For example, all writers on Substack are amazing. Fiona is a writer on Substack. Therefore, Fiona is amazing. Q-E-D In every lab, oh my god, and every class had a lab. Performing the experiment is 20% of the work. Writing the introduction, theory, method, results, and discussion, and conclusion are the other 80%. How you twist your conclusion if results didn't match the hypothesis gives you the extra 10. Too real. By the end of college, I think I had a 100 times more doc or PPT files than MATLAB. The amount of writing and presentations I had to do was insane, and they weren't anything like what I learned before. No one taught us how to write a response to RFP or defend a thesis, so we all had to learn this cold, logical, and meticulously numerated engineering English wrapped up in a table of contents as we pulled all-nighters in the comment room. Good times, but no more, please. Needless to say, Engineering English is pragmatic. It's used to describe a proposal, comment on what this gibberish code prints, record results in significant figures legalize an agreement, and direct people out of dangerous situations. Yes, it's cold, dry, and feels distant. There's no room for hand-wavy stuff, and very little room for imagination. But yet, through these seemingly emotionless words, we're able to innovate and send people to outer space. learning English through product management. In the RFPs I wrote in college were theoretical, then the RFPs I write as a PM are the real deal. We call them specs. I got into product management by chance. I wrote biomedical research papers, but nothing related to software. Engineering taught me critical thinking and the different perspectives needed to solve a problem. So, the idea of RFPs weren't novel, but it still took me some time to write English in yet another way. PMs are natural communicators, or that's how we want you to think. Because it's literally our job to talk to everyone and make sure we're aligned. How we write specs will directly impact the product and we must think from the perspective of a user. It's no wonder that a typical requirement that starts with as a user i want x so that i can do y if you're a good pm you also need to combine english words with arabic numerals or roman numerals if you prefer to define okrs and kpis let's take this podcast as an example objective successfully launch a weekly podcast results, viewed or listened to by 300 more people per post, gain 5 new subscribers every week, get shared on 5 different platforms, and lastly, collect feedback from 10% of the readers. It goes without saying, after 4 years of being a PM, my understanding and use of English has evolved yet again. Is a tool I use to facilitate scrum, a voice to advocate for the users, a torch to lead the team, and a plea for you to share my newsletter and podcast. Smooth. Okay, what's next with English? Language is both a science and an art, and I want to explore its many forms. When used for business, which is, my main re- my, which is my main use today, I want to level up the art of PM speak in slightly uncomfortable situations. Story time. There was one hostile conversation I was in where once I refused to step down and come to a consensus. While people were skipping over each other to get their points across, this person came in speaking in the most soothing yet firm voice possible and brought everyone to a halt. As if a blue butterfly flew in a flea market and everyone dropped what they were doing to stare at this magnificent creature. He repeated a few things and asked some clarifying questions. While the other side was still furious, he noticeably slowed down the pace of the exchange. And for the first time, I felt like both sides were having a productive conversation. It was definitely impressive what he did, to turn around a meeting like that and I think that's the power of language paired with the right tone, technique, and a hint of, of bravery. There's also the creative side of me that has various ideas sprouting in my head waiting to be unleashed. I want to experiment with different forms and styles of writing while marinating these ideas so that they're well articulated once shared with you. Also, I don't mind picking up a British or Aussie or New Zealand accent to spice things up. (laughs) Next up in the series, I'll write about French. If you would like to read more, please subscribe and share it with a friend. À la semaine prochaine. Thank you for listening to The Creative Outlet. You can find this podcast and the transcript on fiona.substack.com. If you have a question or comment, please leave me a comment or tell me on Twitter at FUNAGANT.